You're listening to episode 81 of the ESL Teaching Podcast. I frequently receive questions from my content area teachers about how to help English learners in the classroom. And those questions, frankly, are the same every year from how to help a newcomer to more specific activity and engagement ideas. And I was wondering if there are any different questions that EL teachers get asked. So I posted this on Instagram and inside my Facebook group. And it appears that general education teachers ask the same questions across the board. What can we do, they ask. How can we help our EL students? So today I compiled a few most recent frequently asked questions and wanted to share my answers to them. I hope that you find these helpful, especially uh, those about first language usage in the classroom, translations, and how to help newcomers with reading. So without further ado, let's get to the episode and find out those answers. Hello and welcome to the ESL Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Yeva Grossless, otherwise known as Simply Yeva, and I am so thankful that you tuned in. I'm looking forward to sharing both my knowledge and experience on this podcast, as well as that of my fellow teachers. Hello, hello, everyone. As you already heard in the intro, EL teachers get the same questions from different general education teachers every single year. So I decided to tackle five most commonly asked questions and misconceptions about teaching English learners. If you are an EL teacher, use this episode as a springboard to start meaningful conversations about English learners, their levels of proficiency, and what can actually be done to help them. And if you are a regular education teacher, I hope this episode will shed some light on those nagging questions about how you can help. Before I begin, I wanted to talk a little bit about proficiency levels. I find that we go from, oh my gosh, the student doesn't speak a lick of English to they speak fine. I don't think they need EL services very quickly. And it is a pendulum that keeps swinging back and forth all the time. This is where English proficiency levels and can-do descriptors come into play. And you can find those in the WIDA website. WIDA is the framework that many states use to follow the standards and to teach English language learners. Uh, there are other states, so check with your state what standards they are using. But... The general proficiencies are newcomers, beginners, high beginners, low intermediates, high intermediates, and advanced. And according to the WIDA consortium, the levels are entering, which would be level one, complete newcomers, emerging, level two, these are the beginners, developing, level three, this uh, encompasses uh, lower intermediates, expanding level four, higher intermediates, bridging level five, and reaching level six. These are all advanced. By the time students are at level four, they are fairly good in communicating and receiving academic information in English. Even still, although their progress is not as visible as, say, that of someone who's at an emerging level, they need targeted supports that will help them uh, continue to grow. 
But the most questions we get about those students who are at levels one through three, those beginners and intermediate level students, they need a lot of repetition, they need a lot of scaffolding and even translation. So let's get to those questions and see how we can take matters into our own hands. So the first question is an oldie but a goodie. How do I teach English if I don't know the student's first language? How can I help them and what should I be doing? Well, good news. We don't need to know the student's native language because we're teaching them English. The method used for teaching English in the U.S. in many cases is immersion. This means that the students are learning the language in the environment where the language is spoken. I know that sometimes we feel the need to translate, and that is okay, especially when we have complete beginner students. But there are other ways of teaching that will go a long way and have a lasting effect. So here are a few tips. So the first tip is this, body language and total physical response are a must. Now imagine yourself in the student's place for a second, you are new and you do not speak the local language. You are surrounded by people you don't understand. Everything is new to you and frankly, quite overwhelming. And then the teacher comes up to you. She smiles, points to herself and says her name. She repeats that name several times. She points to you, says the word name. And over time, you understand that what she wants to know. She wants to know your name. The contact is made. Then the teacher helps you meet several or all of your classmates this way. And in that process, you are already making human connection. And you're also learning a couple of words in English. The teacher repeats several times and you understand. She also uses some pictures, points to concrete items in the classroom and repeats herself several times. All the while keeping the pleasant demeanor, which makes you feel welcome. I know it sounds simple, but it is so true. Body language accounts for 55% of communication. The other 38% is your tone of voice and only 7% is words. Sure, the student will not understand everything, but little by little, this connection that is so important will be made. And once you have made it, the rest will follow. So always remember, uh, be pleasant, uh, make them feel welcome, and the students will begin learning, even if neither of you speak the same language. The second tip is using visuals that help the student understand what you're teaching or talking about. So sometimes you can prepare the visuals ahead of time, and sometimes you will just have to whip up an impromptu Google image on your laptop, and that is totally fine because you cannot be prepared for everything that might come up in the classroom. The point is, is that visual aids really help the students understand the words and concepts and are a really powerful way to not rely on the student's native language. It is important to remember that they already have this information or a lot of information, maybe not the concrete one that you're teaching at this time, but they have a lot of information they can build on and that is in their native language. And now we're just drawing on that and building English one word at a time. The third tip is speak in short, concise sentences. A noun and a verb. 
Do not slow down to the point where it sounds dumb, but removing all the superfluous information, vocabulary, when giving directions is very, very effective. For example, if you want your students to start a science experiment, you could say something like this. Outline the fundamental steps for commencing a scientific experiment in a systematic and organized manner. It is a surefire way for your English learner and frankly native speakers to say, wait, what? Or you could say this, plan the experiment. Step one, write down the hypothesis. Step two, prepare your work area. Step three, open page one of your notebook, etc., etc. Of course, this is a scientific example, so I would assume that you would have that your student by by the time you give the instructions, your student would know the word experiment and hypothesis and area and so on. But this sounds simpler and much more comprehensible, and the student will be able to actually act on your instructions as opposed to sit there confused and not even know how to ask a question or what to ask. So even better, if the instructions lend themselves to demonstrations, show the student along with saying it. The fourth tip is scaffold instruction. This means break down complex concepts into manageable chunks and gradually build on what they already know. I already mentioned this, but the fact that they're learning English doesn't mean they cannot grasp the concepts. And in fact, they may already know the concept in the first language, which makes it easier to transfer. And while there are many other ways to help EL students, especially beginners in your classroom, do not underestimate collaboration with the EL teacher in your school. They know the curriculum, they know the students, and they are a great resource for everything from short hallway professional development to an extended lesson on how to help those students in the classroom. All right, let's get to the second question. And it sounds like this. Should I just translate my handouts? The answer is complex. Well, more like twofold. It's a yes and a no at the same time. So I'm going to try to explain. Uh, I'm going to share advantages, disadvantages, and best practices. So the advantages are clarity, inclusivity, and access to content. If you have an ability to translate handouts, they can help the students understand the context and instructions of the lesson. And translation also promotes inclusivity and access uh, because the students can uh, get access to the same material, but in the language that they understand and they feel more welcome, supported, calmed down. And this might help them participate in classroom discussions and activities over time. Maybe not right at the beginning, but uh, over time. But there are some cons as well. First of all, translating materials can be time consuming and may require additional resources. Some schools may have limited budgets or personnel available for translation. And automatic translation doesn't always guarantee the same quality. If you don't know the student's first language, you don't even know if the translation is good and if you know what it was translated. I remember looking for some information and materials in Chinese and I do not speak, read, understand anything Chinese. So it was almost like shooting in the dark. So you have to consider um, what your options are. 
And also consider this, EL students come from various language backgrounds and it may not be feasible to provide translations for every language represented in the classroom unless you consistently have the students coming from the same language background. Um, you know, that that's the time when you might consider having certain materials in Spanish, for example, or Portuguese or um, any other language that is prevalent. In addition, it's also important to know your student. So if the student is not literate in their first language, the translated material will be of no use. And for those ELs who are at higher proficiency levels, translations may not be necessary because the student's already been learning the content in English for some time. And in general, uh, because they're learning English, they uh, should be practicing it more and more. Now, the best practices, there are two best practices. There are probably more, but I'm including two here. And uh, this is my opinion. Now, the first one is know your students and their proficiency level. So those at an entering uh, level might benefit more from translated materials in the beginning. But those who are at a higher level need more opportunities to continue practicing what they had been learning in English. And number two, as the student's English proficiency improves and goes up, uh, consider gradually transitioning to using more and more English materials. I typically, when I see that the student um, uh, gets into the phase of uh, over-relying on translations, we have a small conference and we make a pact Let's say by the end of the month or by the end of the quarter, they will use uh, fewer Google Translate tools and uh, they will ask for fewer translated materials. And we are building that confidence for the student and 100% it works. But you have to sit down and make an agreement with a student that, you know, we, we're helping you. Um, we love that you are using your first language, but now let's transition into learning more English. And uh, they are excited to see that they are capable. Question number three, what do I do with newcomers during class time? We do not have a sheltered program. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> So I typically suggest having students journal in their first language on content prompts, and that will help you see what they know, or they can journal on general prompts. Uh, take individual time to get to know the student, even if it is one minute at a time. So even having a short conference about their general or uh, content area prompt will serve as getting to know you and will show them that you care. With a little bit of pre-planning, you could introduce the student to a vocabulary learning system that you use in your classroom, whether it's an interactive notebook or flashcards or something else, or general in general, the systems that you are using. Um, if the student joined you at the start of the year and you went over uh, everything that is expected in the classroom and the student is a newcomer, chances are it went over their head. So sitting down with them uh, individually will go a long way. And some students may not be familiar with the way things are taught in the schools here. So it might be a great time to introduce those systems and processes um, I had a student ask me, what is a flashcard uh, just recently? So uh, think about doing this, especially when the others are doing independent work. 
And with that, you can also choose several of your content vocabulary words that you will be repeating continually during the unit or in class in general, and you can assign them to the students. So now they know how you do vocabulary. Um, so you can uh, implement the system with them, or they can simply write the word in English, provide a translation and draw a picture that represents that word. And once they had the chance to hear and practice new words, another way to include them would be to have them listen for specific words or expressions in your class and write them down in their journal. So let's say they learned, I don't know, 10, 10 words or, or something like that. Um, you can uh, ask them to listen to you speak or the classmates speak and to write down if they hear any of those 10 words. Um, so they can write down two words that are familiar and one that they have no idea what it means, but kind of like struck them. Uh, the spelling is not important because likely they will hear something different than what you're saying. But at the same time, it will give you a unique glimpse <laughs> into what they're actually getting from your lesson, as well as an opportunity to teach something new directly to them. Also consider, I want you to consider when we're thinking about newcomers, there will be a silent period. It can last anywhere from a week to several months. So uh, just keep watching. And the silent period is quite simple. Um, if you, when you are learning a new language, you do not have the repertoire of words or, you know, syntax to express yourself or to even understand. So during the silent period, the students are building up that vocabulary and you are helping them by modeling, by explicitly explaining. Uh, they might not be, you know, they might not speak because they cannot, you know, they don't have the repertoire to retrieve the words, but respect the silent period. And after some time, you will see that they're coming out of their shell. Um, it is a process that needs everyone goes through uh, differently. I've had students who started um, using everything they can hear within the first week. And I had a student who literally was silent for eight months. So um, just watch the situation and remember that for newcomers, a silent period is something that is common. Question number four, how can I help a newcomer with a novel, reading, vocabulary, timed rights, this is where it is important to understand what your newcomer can actually do. Reading a book in their first language? Yes. Learning targeted vocabulary in English? Yes. And by targeted vocabulary, I mean not only the words that can be found inside the book, but also a few of those tier two words that we assume everyone knows, but English learners probably do not. For example, words like predict or develop. These are tier two words that grow that uh, can be found across curriculum. Now, we just recently had a list of words from Antigone that included words like augury and thwart. And while these are great, um, it is important to know that the students will most likely need to know words like estimate, evaluate, and analyze and use them more frequently than augury and thwart. So we're kind of like picking and choosing, not that they do not need to know them, but especially if they're at the lower proficiency level, 
we want them to know something practical that they can implement right away on a daily basis. Now, also a vocabulary activity that I am implementing this year and that can be used with both uh, English learners, newcomers, uh, higher proficiencies, and all students is a simple vocabulary scan before reading. So I have the students quickly scan the passage or the first uh, page or a couple pages and pick five, 10 words that are unfamiliar to them. Um, we then go through them as a group and then the students uh, can have, you know, you can have activities after, but the, the most important thing is that everybody understands those words. But then you can have activities, group activities, because not everybody will have the same words. These will be student-generated vocabulary, but everybody will be getting something out of this. So if you can uh, figure out a way of how to implement this in your classroom, a vocabulary scan is a great activity for all all proficiency levels. And regarding timed rights in English, for someone who is at a one word or a phrase level, I don't think it is feasible. Unless they do it in their first language and then, you know, you find a way to translate it on conference with a student. But it is important to go back to the purpose of the timed writing and think about whether the student can demonstrate the knowledge in other ways, such as diagrams or drawings or even conferencing with you. And finally, we have question number five. Should I let them speak to each other in their other language? So I once visited a classroom where the majority of students were Spanish speakers with one Arabic and one Portuguese speaker. The dynamics was clearly in favor of those who shared the language, not to mention that uh, most of them were teenage boys not particularly interested in the class and learning. So um, it was a little bit uh, uh, interesting uh, situation and uh, it was more difficult to kind of like focus them in. Uh, but I did notice that those who needed more help got help from their peers in Spanish. And in the end, they all did the assignment. So in my classes, I too have students who are friends and they speak the same language. I haven't had a problem per se with them speaking only their native tongue, but here's my take. As long as it doesn't interfere with your teaching, doesn't interrupt you, right? And is not disrespectful to others. And even if you don't speak the language, remember I talked about those nonverbal cues at the beginning. Uh, they give you a lot of information and you'll know when it's intended to be disrespectful. Um, unless, you know, um, if, as long as it, there's no such thing, the students can communicate if necessary. I find that my students who share the same language help each other understand instructions and assignments in English, and that is not such a bad thing. So at the same time, you can utilize it to promote language learnings. So you can mix students with those who do not share the same language background, and that will help them get out of their comfort zone. So in the classroom, using the first uh, language can help you with these things. They can help build uh, comprehension. Uh, they can help the students deepen their understanding. Uh, they can build the confidence and, you know, the students can also express themselves. And the activities really uh, support uh, using home language are those that, uh, such as brainstorming background knowledge about a certain topic, for example, or 
discussing a topic that is very rich. So they discuss it with peers first, and then they can transfer it into English. So uh, there are different ways manipulate, but I think um, a lot of teachers have to look at the situation in their classroom and decide what works for them and their group. So it is up to the teacher to set the parameters on how the language will be used. And that is all for today. So I hope you found this episode interesting and useful and can use it to start meaningful conversations about English learners, how to help them in the classroom, you know, proficiency levels and so on. Now I'm over to you. What other questions do you have about helping newcomers and all ELs in the classroom? And what would your answers be? Send me a message on Instagram and let me know. Thank you for listening and until next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you loved what you heard today, be sure to do two things. First, make sure to subscribe to the ESL Teaching Podcast so you don't miss an episode. And second, leave a positive review wherever you listen, on iTunes, Spotify, or any other platform. Positive reviews will improve the chances of this podcast to be discovered in the feed and help our fellow ESL ELL teachers. And of course, there's a third thing. If you aren't following me on social media yet, come join me on Instagram at SimplyYevaESL, Facebook SimplyYeva, or connect with me on my website, SimplyYeva.com. Thanks again, and until next time.